You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop, going to look. Gets hit, goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. Gosh, it's been so long since we've heard that open. I dare say too long as we welcome in John Boyle from Seahawks.com. It has been several weeks since we have sat down to record an episode. But what we know is the conversation around Seahawks football never stops. Exactly. And especially this time of year, everything starts heating back up again. You get that little lull after the season, but, you know, free agency is about to come up. People are just in Indianapolis for the combine, so there's a lot of talk about the draft going on. It's The NFL rarely rests is what this league has turned into. Which is fun. It can also be exhausting if you cover the league, but I think there is a sense of relief from folks knowing that Geno Smith and the Seahawks did exactly what they said they were going to do, and they worked out a way to make sure that that partnership was going to continue. John, did you have any doubt that they would reach this conclusion. Yeah, I mean, it sure seemed like the logical conclusion. Geno Smith really enjoyed his year here, played phenomenal. He talked, you know, the day this season ended, he talked about wanting to be back, and Pete Carroll and John Schneider have consistently said the same. But it, it's, you know, there's always some concern because you just never know how negotiations are going to go. You know, you, you know, a certain deal can get done with another player at that position and can mess up the market. You know, there's just so many things. So, Even if both sides want to happen, it's a good feeling to, like you said, see it actually get done and see these two sides agree to a deal and know that, you know, after a great Pro Bowl season, Geno Smith is going to be back. Well, and I think that some people read into the timing of this a little bit in that I have been asked by outside media outlets, you know, was there a concern? Because it kind of went down to the wire, right? Yeah. But I don't. Look, and I talk to people inside the building, a deadline's there for a reason, exactly. right? I mean, and I, you can negotiate up until the deadline. Yeah, I mean, that's always, you know, deadlines are what's going to make things get done because even if you're talking, you always know, like, we're not going to, you know, either side's not going to say, okay, I'm good with this, knowing that you have another week or month or whatever it is to deal Part of it, you know, the biggest deadline, of course, was the fact the franchise tag deadline was coming up. So if the Seahawks, if that was an option for them to use, they had to make that decision by um, this week. But then the other thing is a lot gets done at the combine. I mean, all the agents are there, all the GMs, scouts, everybody's in one place. So that's when a lot of the discussions for, you know, especially re-signing your own guys, that starts to heat up. So it's kind of natural timing that it happened right now. Well, I would also say it is not like these conversations just started taking oh, yeah. place. That That's the difference. On the outside, you're not hearing at what point these started and how many different conversations and how much was a formal sit-down versus a passing in the hallway and, and those sort of... Just yeah, I mean, these are, casual. yeah, especially when you're talking quarterbacks and the money involved, like these are long, complicated process where there's a lot of meetings, a lot of phone calls. It's, you know, a lot going on. And then, you know, as always, when the deadline approaches, things kind of heat up and we saw a good deal get done. You mentioned the money involved. It is interesting when you start diving into or you hear people like Pete Carroll talk about this contract and what it actually is. The details will come out as we get further kind of into this and closer to the season. But it certainly seems like once again, Gino is betting on himself. 
When you guys get your chance and you really dig in, you'll see that it is you know, leaning that way. We're, we're counting on him coming through and doing the things that he was able to do last year. And, and if, he, if he does that, he's going to get rewarded. And uh, we know that if, that if he's able to come back and do that, he's going to have a great season and we're going to be in great shape. We're going to have a real chance to be at the best, at our best. So um, it is heavily structured that way. And, uh, you know, and he, he, he's gambling a little bit in that sense on himself. The, the question there, if you missed it yesterday, was asking Pete Carroll about the the nature of the contract, what's been reported is there's, you know, obviously he's getting a lot of money no matter what, but there's also a lot of money available in incentives. And, you know, if anyone's going to bet on himself and believe in himself right now, it's Geno Smith. I mean, you look at last year, he, he more than doubled his salary with incentives for games played, making the Pro Bowl, making the playoffs. So the guy's confident and for good reason. And as Pete Carroll went on to say is, look, if they have to pay him the max value of that contract, that's awesome because that means he hit a bunch of big markers and did a lot of good things. So, you know, you might think on the surface, oh, the team doesn't want to pay him. They, they would love to pay all that money out because that means things are going really well. And if you wonder just how far the Seahawks can ride Geno Smith in this offense, look, the numbers last year indicate that the Seahawks offense was among the best in the league. 10th most passing yards, 30 touchdown passes thrown by Geno Smith. That is tied for the third most among quarterbacks last season and bottom third in interception. So all of those key indicators, not to mention leading the league in completion percentage, all of the key indicators are there. And then again, Pete expressing faith that Geno Gino can get them where they want him to go. Heck yeah, we could. Heck yeah, we can. He he's going to do his part. We got to do the. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of stuff we have to get done. We have a, a, a lot of decisions to make. This extraordinary draft coming up has been ongoing too, and we haven't left that topic either. You know that's been ongoing. So there's multiple topics, like just like I like a lot of balls in the air at the same time. <laughs> you know, let, let the music play and let's you know let's be dancing, let's do the whole thing. Well, that's what's going on. And and uh, but the the focus right now obviously is continuing the evaluations for the draft, but free agency is is at hand. Specifically, Pete Carroll was asked if Geno Smith could get him to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And he said, heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason to think with as well as Geno Smith played last year and this was a playoff team. If they take care of the other things that they know, we've heard it over and over again. Pete Carroll and John Shire talk about getting better up front. When you look at the, you know, the draft resources they have, you know, the expectation that next year's class is or last year's class is going to make a year two leap. This team should be able to get a lot better. And if you build a better team around a quarterback who did what Geno Smith did last year and who, let's face it, could, you know, he'll be the first to tell you it can get better. That was his first year starting and playing regularly since 2014. So I, I don't buy this idea that like, oh, he's a one hit wonder. I mean, if anything, he should continue to grow. Well, and it gives Seattle options. I think that's the thing I keep coming back to, whether it is an option to draft a quarterback, whether it's an option to use those high draft picks someplace else. You know, John Schneider was asked, why do you need to lock up a quarterback? Because they don't go on trees, which side note, always makes me feel bad for position groups that do grow on trees. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you never hear, <laughs> like, never hear a GM be like, oh, well, those guys grow on trees. We don't have to worry yeah, about that. Yeah, like, position. I don't know. Do linebackers grow on trees? I Maybe. I don't I'm know. Sure do go- good ones probably I mean, don't grow no, on trees. Good, there's a scarcity of every good NFL player. There's a reason right. these guys just, make the money they do. It's I just started thinking about yeah. that. Like, I'd probably actually just grow on a tree. No. You can probably don't just go and find somebody else. Anyway. You don't grow I forgot what we're talking about. Well, <laughs> what I'm saying is they give them options. And you and I were both at the Combine. You watched those drills up close. Mm. I was keeping an eye from a distance, but having a lot of conversations. What were some of the conversations that maybe shifted during that time in the Combine as it relates to 
available first round draft picks. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen as it happens so often with the draft, quarterbacks tend to get pushed up as we get closer to the draft because there is so much value in that position that if you can find the right guy, you take him and you might take him higher than you know, you might not have him really graded as a top five pick, but boy, if there's that chance you go get him. And that's why we've heard Pete Carroll and John Shire say over and over again that, look, we love Geno Smith. We want him back, but that does not preclude us from taking a quarterback because to John Shire's point, they don't grow on trees and you're not, hopefully you're not going to be in this position again of having a top five pick. So if you love one of those, you know, there's generally four guys considered, you know, top half of the first round type guys. If you love one of those guys and he's there, you got to look really hard at that. Even if there are other needs you could be filling. It is interesting that Pete Carroll actually brought up that number five pick. Yeah. That it would not preclude them from taking a quarterback at number five. I'm going to be honest with you. I never thought about a quarterback at number five. I kept thinking defensive side of the ball. Of course, you can't overlook anything. I yeah. don't even know that they're going to make a pick at number five. That's they have insane. a lot Trade of options. back is always in play. When you draft a quarterback, you are sending a message. And there could be some concern that you draft a quarterback early on. That could put pressure on Geno Smith. It could send the wrong message. What happens to this offense? And Pete says, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that too much. Whatever we do, he's going to be he's he's going to take it in stride. He's not going to worry about anybody. And and this is as a reward to what he's done. Even solidifies his confidence and understanding how much trust we have in him. So, um, you know, and if that if that is to happen, that is a choice for for the long haul, of the future, and, and all of that. We'll see what happens. With everything Geno Smith's been through in his career, and then to come out and do what he did last year, I just the the mental makeup that takes to stick with it for all those years as a backup and feeling like you're probably not getting the opportunity you deserve and to stick it out and then take advantage of the opportunity when it finally does come. Like I have zero concerns about the mental makeup of a guy who's done what he's done in his career. And like, yeah, obviously you're going to feel something if they draft a quarterback. Cause you're like, okay, well maybe they're looking at the future without me somewhere down the road, but it's going to have zero impact on how he plays this year. And if anything, I think it would just be a motivator. It'd be like, look, okay, I'm going to prove to them that they didn't need to do this because I can be the man for years to come. And I, I just, I don't see any negative there other than obviously you could be using that pick on some other position need, but I, you know, I can definitely see the argument if you love a quarterback there at five. Well, and I think what we have also seen is this, not only does it take a strong mental makeup, but it does take time in this system. And last year, Geno Smith had had the benefit Mm -hmm. of sitting behind Russell Wilson, but also experiencing Shane Waldron's offense. It's really unreasonable to think that somebody comes in brand new to the NFL, brand new to the system, and can excel right away. I mean, there's just some common sense that needs to be applied to that position. Also, let's think about what Geno did with two rookie tackles and maybe not the deepest wide receiving core in the league, battling some injuries at running back. Boy, there's a lot of reason to think that he gets better and it's it's not even because of him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he improves, but... Yeah, those all the pieces. Those tackles are just going to get that much better. You know, you've got the draft picks to potentially add to that line some more, whether it's, you know, they need to figure out center now that Austin Blythe is retiring. Congrats to him on a great career, by yeah. the way. But, you know, there's they've they got a lot to add there. And then they, you know, they can get some depth at receiver. They can, you know, there's just a lot of ways they can use when you have this kind of draft capital at your disposal. It's just really easy to get excited this time of year about, you know, ways they can upgrade. Well, and... The Seahawks have hit on a lot of good players. Take a look at last year's draft. 
no team started as many rookies as Seattle did and gave them as many snaps as Seattle did. Having said that, you don't hit on every pick. Yeah. And John Schneider talked about that at the draft. I mean, there, I, I don't want to use the word drought because some of it is draft capital that you had, and yeah, it depends sure. on where you are drafting and overall success of the team. But look, they've got enough of a track record here and enough of a book on how to draft that they can rely on it and, and ultimately try to hit on these picks once again. And I would say that comparing players are just purely drafting for need. Uh, and then some of the background information that we had on players, uh, really good people, but from a, maybe from a confidence uh, standpoint or a swagger standpoint, weren't necessarily able to, to compete with, you know, the Richard Shermans and the Cam Chancellors and the Bobby Wagners and the KJs and the, oh man, I'm, you know, Earl Tom, you know what I mean? So you, you, you have to, we, we knew we had to do a little bit better job in that regard. Uh, but to your point, you know, when we got here 2010, 11, 12, you know, we're just, picking players and building this thing so you know um you know not to sound weird or anything but we were we were, we were a damn good football team there for a number of years so it's very hard to make our team yeah i mean that's the thing i go back to a lot when people want to criticize past drafts is like look that you know they could have made some different picks and could have done better in areas but it is really hard when you are a back-to-back super bowl caliber team for young guys to break in like first of all your your draft capital is worse because you're picking up the back around but secondly like to his point, it's hard to bring a guy in who's going to push a, you know, Pro Bowl, borderline Hall of Fame caliber guy. And that's where, when you talk, you know, I think a lot of people, I heard questions at the combine. People wanted to frame it as like the Seahawks totally redid their draft process last year, and that's why they drafted better. The, you know, they didn't change a lot, but one thing I think that we did hear them admit to is there's a little more focus on the fit, on the, you know, the competitiveness, whether it's you want to call it the grit, just sort of that ability to come in and do what we saw a lot of these rookies do, which was not back down from the challenge of pushing veterans to take their jobs right away. And I think that's something, you know, you put a little more emphasis on that and find some good players and you're going to get a bunch more guys. You know, you're not going to hit on all 10 or however many picks they end up making, but you hit on, you know, five, six of them who can contribute. That can make a huge difference in 2023. I think what we are also seeing about some of those draft classes that John Schneider was talking about is they truly were elite. They were different. It is oh, amazing sure. that they all ended up in the same team. But the further you get away from that team, by the way, 10-year anniversary of the Super Bowl championship this year, the further away you get, the more you appreciate those players and their ability really have stood the test of time. They are the bar for a lot of these kids that were at the draft. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you hear that. You you hear guys talk in their interviews about, like, uh, for years we've heard running backs. Oh, Marshawn, who do you model your game after? Marshawn Lynch, safeties, Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman at quarterback. I mean, they had – multiple guys who were basically the standard at their position for the better part of a decade. I'm curious because not everybody is sending folks to the draft or excuse me, the combine anymore. How much like teams are choosing and this is a COVID thing and this is kind of changing philosophy. How much do you think you, I don't want to put you on the spot about the Seahawks. Look, I find it valuable to see people working in a space, like in person, in front of me, handling whatever that situation is. Uh-huh. How much value do you or do you think the organization gets out of getting eyes on the ground and on those people? I think the CXR team, I think, that sees a lot of value. And I mean, to your point, if there have been some stories this year in particular about 
some teams are just mostly sending scouts and they're leaving their coaches behind to do other work. And I, I can see that. And one thing, one factor in that that might change how every team does it is kind of how long the coaches are there because they've they changed the schedule yes. a little bit. And it does require, if you're going to be there for an, a, to interview a player, let's say you're the running backs coach and you want to interview the running back and you want to be there at his workout. Those can be pretty spread out with this new combine schedule. So I do see where maybe not every position coach goes anymore, but you know, the Seahawks really value that. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to be in a lot of these interviews with the players and Pete Carroll is usually the guy leading it. I mean, he starts off asking a lot of the questions and it's, it's important for them to get that face time with the guys really feel like they get to know them a little bit. And then I, I do think there's just value in seeing them on the field too, up close and personal. You know, the Seahawks usually try to, if they can get some coaches or scouts involved in the drills on field to be around the guys. You know, Sanjay Law was down there doing some of the receiver drills this year. So they do see a lot of value in that. Yeah, I I think that there's value, but For I sure. am curious as to what's going to happen to that as it goes on. And look, now that you've got Geno Smith locked up, you know where that offense is heading. You know that you've got options when it comes to picks, and and you've got a lot of draft capital to work with. You got to think that there's going to be an awful lot of conversation. Well, there already has been conversation about shoring up the defense and making changes on the defensive side. John Schneider didn't pull any punches when asked about that at the Combine. No, I think we got to get a lot better. Yeah, uh, we, need, we need to be better up front. Uh, I think that's you know, pretty evident. We were on the field a lot. You know, we, didn't, we didn't defend the run real well. We had some games in there. We did a really nice job. And then you know, we, had, we had several games that uh, didn't go so well. We know what the issues are, and, and we're, we're ready to attack them and fix them. In a separate answer, but very related, John Schneider was asked about the 49ers and kind of closing that gap. And that was another thing he alluded to. It's like, we saw the difference. I mean, you look at a team that has hit on a lot of picks and had a lot of draft capital invested in that, just the difference that makes when you have those elite game record types on your defensive front. And that's Pete Carroll, his year-end press conference. That was one of the first things he pointed out, too, is you know, they need to get more disruptive up front. Some of that can be in coaching. You know, they Pete Carroll talked about on the radio yesterday, they hired... Uh, BT Jordan to be their pass rush specialist. You know, some of that can be coaching up the existing guys. Some of it can be evaluating the scheme. They're only one year into what they're doing schematically, and so there'll be improvement there. But a lot of it's also going to be who they add, whether that's the draft, free agency. They they know that to be a truly elite team, they need to be one that just wins more of those battles in the trenches. Seattle's defense allowed the third most rushing yards in 2022, 21 rushing touchdowns. There were games where, boy, they would sell out to stop the run, and then there were games that they just couldn't find that rhythm. And there's questions with some injuries that yeah, I mean, they need to sort through, too. That all factors into free agency and the draft as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some key guys, Jordan Brooks and, and Jamal Adams, kind of the chief amongst them of, you know, when will they be back? And, you know, do you need to address that position more or not? No, I mean, linebacker is a position right now that you look at, like, we don't know when Jordan Brooks is going to be back and Cody Barton's about to become a free agent. So that, you know, there's a lot of questions to answer here in the next couple of months. You know, I'm so glad that you phrased it like that because I don't have a whole lot more answers right now. Like, I just love watching what transpires. And you're seeing a changing of the guard around the league, yeah. first of all. You're seeing some former Seahawks become available, which I think is interesting yes. on lots of fronts. <laughs> um I also think that there's going to be some conversations we didn't anticipate that come out of free agency. So my proposal is this. We put a pin in this conversation. We circle back around like after we know some of that and before yeah. the draft. You know what's great about this, Jen? It's not our job to have the answers. We're just here to talk about it. There's people downstairs who, you know, 
are much more qualified than us to answer but, the questions. But we ha- we have answers, whether they're the right yes, answers. Exactly. Are, you know. Yeah, we can we can. Make I mean, up that that's debatable, right? I can give you an answer. Sure. You might not like my answer. They might not <laughs> like my answer. I might get in trouble if I give my answer. So let's call that a day. We'll wrap up this edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.